Let's take a look at Colossians together again. Colossians chapter 2. Might be in some serious trouble. I've had two or three cups of that coffee and I'm raring to go. So, But this will shock you to hear. I say this about every time, but I am particularly pumped up about uh, this group of, of passages. Uh, there are certain verses and, and groups of verses throughout your life that just really stick with you. And Colossians 3, which is the the bookend to the time that I get to share with you this week, some follow-up next week, and then the third week is Colossians 3. And just the power that that's had in my life is pretty remarkable. And I just really pray that um, my faith will be taken to the next level, your faith, your walk will be taken to the next level as we kind of celebrate the truth here. It should be no surprise to us that the Holy Spirit is a master communicator. Just a master communicator. And I am blown away by the inspiration uh, of these verses and by the teaching of these verses and by the connectedness of, of not only these verses to, but to, to God's perfect plan of salvation. And it's just pretty great. So I, like I said, I'm very enthused to talk with you through these things. Um, let's pray and ask God to, to direct. Father, we're thankful that, that Your wisdom and Your provision through Your Son and through Your Spirit has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank You that, that the struggles that we go through in, in living for You and walking for You are more our own making, Lord, than, than not being equipped for what You've asked of us. And that's refreshing. It's a discouraging at times to, to recognize how much I get in the way, but it's encouraging that You are such a loving, gracious, merciful God that You've not only saved us, but You've given provision for us to live the godly life that You've called. And I'm just thankful for passages like these that are just crystal clear, that are just so um, real and tangible, Lord, of how we can honor You. And so we turn, depending on Your Spirit, to speak uh, through and to the hearts of each of us and just look forward to the great fruit that You'll produce. In Jesus' name, Amen. My brother-in-law gave me a hard time for wearing my t-shirt and warm-up pants, but there's a reason. There's two reasons. One, because months ago, Allie Levisor said, oh, you're speaking today, aren't you? I said, yeah, how'd you know? He's like, oh, you always dress up. You always wear a collared shirt when you speak. So I determined to try and trick her. And so then she saw me today and she's like, you're speaking today, aren't you? So <laughs> that was the one. But the second is that it's a direct illustration of these verses. So let's, let's start by reading through these verses, and then we'll get to the, the uh, application. The whole book of Colossians, the big message that we want each of us to grab a hold of is let's rise above. Rise above. Christ Himself has risen above. And we'll touch on that again this morning. But there's a direct tie. We need to rise above the garbage that's all around us. Rise above the distractions. And so all of these verses, keep this phrase in mind. This is the, the key thing that we want you to take away. Is that Christ has risen above, we need to rise above. And that's a powerful thing. So let's read together. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Christ has risen above. He's taken care of all that needs to be taken care of. And what remains is for us to rise above. What remains is for us to walk in Him. This is huge. The first line there is is very important too. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I was taught by a good teacher, Mr. Dave Glock, that if there's a therefore written, what do you do? What's the therefore there for? Exactly. And so this is where we get to review the last several weeks because the therefore is finally your opportunity to respond to all the great truth that we've seen. Chapter 1, Christ's supremacy, right? Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. Christ is Lord. He's all-powerful. You also got a a taste in the early part of chapter 2 that Paul, having a life-changing conversion on the road to Damascus, literally persecuting those following Christ. God gets a hold of his life, radically changes him, gives him rebirth in Christ, and now you see an example of a 180 degree turn. A man controlled by the Spirit to where then he works and he lives and he serves to honor God. And you see examples, you see his sufferings referred to. And you hear him saying, I've set an example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, as he says in Ephesians. But here in Colossians where he said, now you follow this same. You stand strong. You persevere. You rise above. So the therefore is now that you've seen that Christ is all and in all, now that you've seen that there's been others that have gone before you with a passionate and fervent example of how to live for him, now you, as you've received Christ, so walk in him. Turn to John 1 with me. It is never a bad idea to review this idea of receiving Christ. This is the power uh, and authority of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And in John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus Christ, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 9, speaking of Jesus again. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Don't ever forget the message of salvation. When we speak of receiving Christ, we know that Jesus Christ came to earth as it was prophesied. He lived a perfect life and then He died a sacrificial death on the cross, taking on every bit of punishment from His own Father for your sin and for my sin. And at the end of it, the three, some of the three greatest words, it is finished. The payment for sin was done. We'll review that later. The payment for sin, for your sin, was taken care of. He went into the grave. We know that three days later He rose victorious to seal the deal, to conquer death, sin, and hell. And then He gave very clear invitations to you and to me. Receive this gift of salvation for yourself. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, each of you has an opportunity, has had, many of you have had this opportunity, and you've received Jesus as your Savior. You've believed that your sin needed to be taken care of. You've believed that Jesus did the work and you've received His free gift of salvation. That's who we're talking to this morning. If you're in that boat, remember, your life is changed. Your life is changed. And your privilege and your honor is to so walk in Christ. Walk in Him is a good statement. There's another one in Hebrews 12.1 that resonates maybe even more with our, uh, the athletic part of our culture. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And you know those verses well. You've gotten to see them. You've heard them. Many of you hopefully have memorized them. But don't miss the key here. This is a race. This is a, a constant training moving towards a goal. But don't forget that this is a race set before you. If you know Christ as your Savior, this is not an optional life goal. This is your calling. If you've received Christ, this is your job to run, to walk in Him. This is a race that's been set before you. From the moment you receive Christ, your full purpose is to live for Him and glorify Him and to walk in Him. This is the message. This is the therefore. If Christ is the fullness, which He is, then our work is to live wholeheartedly, full throttle for Him. And that's a challenge to me this morning. And it's a challenge to you. Because as we'll see shortly, there's opposition to this walk. There is opposition to this race to be run. Let me give you a little perspective. That was, by the way, reason too why I'm wearing my warm-up clothes. Get it? Race. But the USA Olympic shirt, Michael Phelps, while we 
can discuss other matters of, of um, example and all. His workout regimes when he was trading for the gold medal were unbelievable. He exercised, worked out, swam six hours a day, six days a week. And it wasn't just a casual pump and iron like I like to do once a month if I need it. This was an intense workout. He swam over 50 miles a week. He had to eat 12,000 calories per day to maintain his weight because of all the numbers of calories that he was burning. I'm on a diet and I'm supposed to be doing around 1,500 a day. 12,000 a day. That's how much energy he was exerting. That's how much his body needed refueling. He was running the race, so to speak. He was full committed, fully committed to the goal of being the best. That's the kind of intensity. That's the kind of drive. You ask, well, what life did he have? That was his life, wasn't it? And while we would never recommend that chasing a gold medal would be your life, what is your life? What is your life called to be? We're called to walk in Him. We're called to run the race. This is our life. And if you want a mental picture of how intense is your walk with Christ supposed to be, it's that Michael Phelps-like single focus. One goal. One occupation. One dominating theme and idea for everything and anything you do. Pursue Christ. Walk in Him. And if we could remove the garbage and remove the distraction and settle in to that calling, not only would life be incredibly more fulfilling as He promised in John 15, the joy that's abundant, but when we got to heaven, we would have a far better opportunity to stand in front of our Savior and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We receive Christ. That is our salvation. That is our our snatching out of hell and and being destined for life eternal with God in heaven. That's the opportunity. But the standing in front of Him and hearing good, well done, good and faithful servant, that's the walk. That's the enduring race. We've got to focus on that even more, more and more. So don't forget, this isn't a casual opportunity race. This is a race that you are designed for, that's set before you not an optional pastime. Let's look at verse 7. Now I want to share something as we go. Uh, A little tip that Matthew taught me in the last few weeks. Matthew um, taught me about outlining Scripture. And he warned that we're careful to say that these outlines are are not God-inspired per se. We know that the Scripture was written even without verse designations, etc., But he taught me about this way of studying Scripture where you look at the whole passage and you start to look at what's the main idea and then what are the supporting ideas to that idea. And then what's the second big point? And almost put a Roman numeral 1, A, B, C, right? Roman numeral 2, A, B, C, point 1, point 2. This has been a very helpful exercise for me. And so maybe we can uh, at some point pick his brain about how he goes about it but he has the whole book of Colossians outlined out. And I've got to tell you, as I was studying that, it was very insightful. So if you see weird font size and offset verses, it follows the outline. Now, is there a chance of getting that printed out and handing out to the whole church fam? Excellent. So then you can read through Colossians and get an idea. 
Again, this is, this is, uh, the scripture is God breathed and the scripture is unchanged. But the organization is an attempt for us to get a better picture of how God works this thing. So it would be great if we can do that and we'll try and support and follow up on that. But understand, verse 6 is a key idea. A key idea. Walk in Him. And verse 7 starts to shed a little light on how to walk in Him or in what manner to walk in Him. So rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Does thanksgiving sound familiar? That whole last series that we studied was all about thanksgiving and the critical part that thanksgiving plays in a life lived for God. We're not going to escape that. It's going to be the constant theme throughout. How do we walk in Him? Thanksgiving. Thankful hearts. Gratitude. We had an interesting activity yesterday morning. The girls had settled into particular pattern of waking up in the morning being a little crabby. I don't know where they got that. must skip a generation. But then they would start to gnaw at each other a little. And it seemed like the first 26 things out of their mouth were negative things. So we did a little activity. We said, okay, and we put a little fun reward on it. Our goal is to have more positive, uplifting things shared, more thanksgiving shared than negative things. Well, guess what the first five were? Negative. Negative. And then we started picking up some steam. And someone, maybe even by accident, would say something half positive. Oh, there we go! And we'd start counting those. And then it got fun for them. Then it got to be kind of a cool game. And so now they were encouraging them. Allie, I really like your haircut. Oh, great, great, great. But they started being more and more positive. And I think the end count at the end of breakfast was 25 to 5. And that was cool. Because our natural inclination is to garbage. Our natural tendency is to be negative and beating down and nothing good. It takes work. It takes effort to be thankful, to be positive, to affirm one another. And this isn't just warm fuzziness. This is one of the prime ways of walking in Christ. Being thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 You know how we long to know God's will for us? Look at these verses, 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If God Himself writes, this is the will of God, make a note, right? This is what you were designed to do. This is how God wants you to live. He wants you prayerfully considering everything all day. He wants you thankfully considering every circumstance 24-7. Thanksgiving is at the heart of walking the walk and running the race. And um, Yuli, Abby, Alejandra published, um, help me Sam, it was your job to print it off, remember? But it was a joy challenge, I think was the, the way that was worded. Fifteen maybe steps of how to build habits of rejoicing, build habits of thanksgiving. Powerful stuff. Let's help each other. Let's work with each other. Let's challenge each other so that thanksgiving becomes a characteristic of our walk. It'll be pleasing to Him. So, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught. 
abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a key part of that rooted and built up in Him. But that middle line is important. Just as you were taught. Where do you get your teaching for how to be rooted and built up in Christ? What are the sources? What's the source, first of all? God's Word, God's Word, the living Word. When's the last time you consulted the living Word? It cannot be said enough that this needs to be our daily activity. We need daily time in the Word. If we have any shot at walking the walk, it's going to be characterized by consistent time in the Word. We're not going to say legalistically that it has to be X number of verses in X number of places at, at a certain point of the day, but daily. The Bereans, a group of people, were commended by Paul because they studied the Scriptures daily, eager to learn what Christ had to say. We need to be those types of people. If we're going to be Michael Phelps-like in our single focus and pursuit of Christ, if we're going to be like Paul in his example of being sold out for the Lord, it's going to involve daily Scripture understanding and learning. It holds the key. It holds the key to Christ's teaching of how to be rooted and built up. Now what's another opportunity for learning the Scripture? Share, Riley. That's right. That's what this is all about. And next week, for instance, we're going to change it up a little. We're going to give you opportunities not just to sit and listen and try and absorb and learn, but we're going to change the modality a little, to change the learning style a little. And Brett and Benji are going to lead us in a discussion with you writing things down and thinking through and chatting with each other for the purpose of learning how to be rooted and built up in Him. This is a constant, constant quest of life. We need to be learning the things of the Lord. There's another p- couple of verses down the, down the pa- passage, down the chapter, that are going to talk about the role that you have in each other's lives for being rooted and built up. Maybe we'll wait to get there. More to say on that. But this is key. This is key. Walk the walk by being rooted and built up in Christ clinging to what you've been taught with thanksgiving. Now, you see verse 6 and 7 are there. Now let's look at verse 8. You can see from this outline, and I believe this to be true, this is a second key point. So we've got two main points of our passage. A, walk in Him. B, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. We've got some contrast here. Two of our main points of this passage are a little bit conflicting. We've got two options. Not conflicting in meaning, but we've got two sides of the coin. We've got walking in Christ and we've got captivity by philosophy and empty deceit. See that? Contrasting concepts. Here's a key message of what we're talking about this morning. And I point to a, um, a story, an example, an illustration that um, when I was a, a young high schooler, I got to spend a good amount of time at Emmaus and uh, with my dad's encouragement, I would seek to spend time with some of the young Christ-honoring uh, male students there. And there was one guy there named uh, John Marriott. Some of you may know him. Uh, he grew up in the same town that Christy grew up, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. 
He was a good man. He loved the Lord. Very disciplined, self-controlled man. And one of the things I'll never forget, sitting in his room, chatting, he said, you know what, KT, I've really come to realize I've got two choices. I can wallow around on the ground with the turkeys or I can seek to soar like an eagle. That's the two contrasts that we have right here. The world, philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition is wallowing around in the, in the gunk with turkeys. But Christ has set you apart for something different. Christ has literally plucked you out of spiritual death and saved you so that you can soar with eagles along with Him. You are destined to soar like an eagle. Why do you spend time in the mud with the turkeys? It spoke to me. It reminded me that there's a choice every single day. There's a choice to faithfully walk in Him, soaring. There's a chance to wallow in the garbage and the mud by giving in to human deceit, philosophy, laziness, elemental spirits of the world, anything that's not according to Christ. There is a choice for each of us daily. Let's seek to soar with Christ. Talk about fulfillment, right? Everything about the world, the flesh, and the devil want us to believe that living and soaring with eagles is not joyful. Yet Scripture is so clear that if we want fulfillment, it's living out who we are in Christ. So I thought that was cool that if you look at the two main points of this section, you've got walk in Him as opposed to wallowing in human tradition and empty deceit. Keep those contrasted. Later in the verses, later in chapter 2, there's going to be some specific examples of this empty deceit and human tradition. But I bet you you could guess what some of them are, right? We are masters at making up rules that make us feel better, right? Things that are not of the Lord. That's part of this empty deceit. Human tradition is all about me. All about me. And that's exactly what it is. Fruitless human tradition. Not of Christ. Not of Christ. So keep these two contrasts in mind. Now verse 8 has some supporting thoughts. It fleshes out this idea of empty deceit in human tradition. One... Why do we seek to avoid it? Why do we want, don't want to be kept captive? What opportunity do we have to escape captivity of this garbage? Well, one, because Christ Himself is fully God. He is the fullness of deity bodily. He is the complete package of God Himself. That is your Savior. That is your inspiration. He is the one that empowers you to walk the worthy life. He's the one that inspires you. He's even sitting at the Father's right hand defending you, sticking up for you, mediating on your behalf, doing everything that's needed for us to escape the human tradition and garbage because He is the fullness of of deity. He is the fullness of deity. You ever feel like we're up against too steep a climb or we're, it's an unfair battle, we don't have what it takes? No. You have the fullness of deity 
on your side of this daily battle. There's no reason to give in. What else? You're filled in Him. And He is the head of all rule and authority. You have the opportunity to literally be filled by God Himself. What do we mean by that? Controlled, directed, guided. Christ Himself, through the Holy Spirit, will control you and guide you if you give Him opportunity. You're in Him. Your identity is in Him. And He has the full rule and authority. If you were going to uh, take a tour of the Pentagon, if you wanted to see every bit of it, you'd have to have someone with the full rule and authority. I don't know if that person exists. We should ask Mark sometime. I don't know if that person exists, if someone would truly show you all there is to see. Christ has the full rule and authority of every opportunity that exists to walk in Him. There is nothing out of His jurisdiction for you living the victorious life in Christ. Nothing. It's all set up for you. The third reason to avoid. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. My brother-in-law Kyle spoke last time so I thought it appropriate that he explain circumcision. you do that for us, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> circumcision is a detailed medical procedure that you can read all about on your own. But in Genesis chapter 17, God Himself approaches Abraham and says, Abraham, I've got enormous blessing for you. In fact, Abraham's name at the time was Abram, completely different. And God said, you're no longer Abram, you're now Abraham because you now have a covenant with God Himself. And the blessing and the opportunity is amazing. As a symbol, as a symbol... Of that, God encouraged him to be circumcised. And the symbol is representing the spiritual meaning that we see right here. It was a distinction. It was being set apart. It was being weird. For the marking, for the identification that he was with God. He was in a covenant with God himself. Same for you. If you've received Christ, you were set apart. Not with a physical symbol. That's weaker than the reality. With the reality that Christ Himself has raised you away from the flesh and the garbage and set you apart for His own will. On another powerful life verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says, this is the will of God for your life. Your sanctification. What's sanctification? Being set apart for God's special purposes. Being drawn away from all the other garbage around us and being placed in a separate position in Christ. 
Third reason to avoid all the garbage, because you are different. You're set apart. You're separate from all of that. Now, we're great at wallowing in it. We are great at compromise. But that's not who you are. You are set apart. You're different. You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in Christ Himself. More detail on this. More detail on this setting apart. More emphasis behind it. One, you're buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. I'm going to suggest that there's several applications, but one of the key applications is if you want to know about being separate from Christ, I'm going to suggest that the next four reasons why you can fully practice separation, I'm going to suggest that those are in direct opposition to what would hold us back. What are the three main things that really oppose the Spirit's work in our life? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? I'm going to suggest that all three of those resistant points, those influences to not walk in Christ, are going to be insufficient to slow you down because of the circumcision, the setting apart that Christ has accomplished. First of all, the flesh. I will stand before you and assert that I believe that I am the biggest resistance to walking faithfully in Christ. I sin, why? Because I want to. I sin because I wave my fist at God and say, no God, it's about me. The flesh is us. It's us. It's me. It's me without Christ. And what does this say? What does verse 12 say about me without Christ? It's dead. It is no longer living. That when I received Christ, I was death. I was I was died. I was died. I died with Christ. And I was raised again in Him with new life. All things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Corinthians teaches us that in Christ you are a new creation. And while the garbage, the habits, the scar tissue of the old KT are around and unfortunately you feel them more times than not that you interact, the pride, the selfishness, that is dead. And if it's coming out, it's because I'm allowing a dead, limp corpse hanging around to influence and affect how I live. You're dead to self. You died with Christ and you've been raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. You are no longer dead. You are a new, alive creature in Christ. You want to be set apart? Then understand, first of all, that I'm the problem. You're the problem. Your new identity in Christ needs to control and be the influence. The old me needs to be counted dead daily. We can escape the flesh. 
you can avoid giving in to those evil desires that you have daily. It's one of the powerful reasons that Christ came and lived a perfect life is He demonstrated, tempted in every way you are, but victoriously. With the Spirit's power, He was victorious. Count yourself dead. Be aware that I'm the problem here. Be aware that you're the problem. If the most powerful influence is going to slow you down from walking in Christ, it's going to be my selfish ambition. We don't have to be held down by it. There are other influences. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Part of that key work of dying to self means that the sin that God Himself demands to be paid for shouldn't slow you down one bit because Christ Himself has cleared it. He's taken care of it. He's paid it. And you're now alive together in Him with every sin forgiven. The next one is similar. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. You ever struggle with guilt? Guilt is contrary to what Christ has for you. Everyone has garbage in their past. But that garbage needs to be left in the past. Christ Himself has cleared that up literally in a supernatural way to where God says that He remembers it no more. Figure that one out. God who knows everything somehow chooses to not even remember the guilt and the garbage that's in the past. That once that, even now that you've been saved, even now that you've received Christ, when that sin is confessed, it's forgiven and it's remembered no more. But you know what stinks? Is not only does my own flesh want to hold on to that guilt, the world around us and the people around us seem like professionals at leading us to hold on to that guilt. Guilt, the world around us will seek to, to uh, make us feel bad, to hold on to that. Unfortunately, the people around us will seek to make you feel bad for what's happened in the past. And while we all want to be people that learn from our mistakes, we need to understand that in God's book, in God is full rule and authority, that guilt is done. That sin is cleared. That is not something that needs to get in your way of walking in Christ. And I would urge you, even charge you, in the name of God Himself, do not bring up garbage from the past. Do not bring a single act in your own heart or mind of your own life or in the life of those around you. Have you noticed that we're professionals at making people feel bad if we really want to twist a knife? Have that stop today. Not a single time going forward do we bring up garbage from the past. It's just slowing us down. It's not helping a bit. We can have victory over the past. Why? Because Christ Himself set aside those sins. He nailed them to the cross. You are dead to sin 
and alive to God. Here's the other hint at influence. The devil opposes the work of God. The devil's army opposes the work of God. Christ has overcome any power. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Do they still exist? Is the devil still alive and well? Absolutely. But he has no power over you. He is defeated. And you, in Christ, have no reason to give in to any influence that would come from a spiritual realm. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're defeated. You are alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. And because of all that, be set apart. Be set apart for God's work. There's nothing that has to slow us down from walking this walk. Absolutely nothing. The next section kind of goes into some more detail about the garbage that the world, the flesh, the devil would like to use to slow down your walk. And so let's take a look at that. Colossians 2, 16, 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Sam, Jess, is it possible to put um, switch out of this app and put those actual verses from Colossians up there for us? You can see my... Uh, the little craziness there jumping. But I want to get all those verses up there so that we can take a look at them. This is going to go into some of the specific human tradition, some of the specific um, ideas and empty philosophies that would slow us down. And it's important to identify them. Why? So that you can be ready to oppose them. So that you can be ready to dismiss them. And so they're going to get the Scriptures up there, but if you have your Bibles in front of you, let's... Look at those next several verses. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without any reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go back uh, to the start of that passage if we can. Verse 16. Here's some more detail 
about the garbage, the empty human deceit that will try and hold us down. There are extra regulations. There are extra regulations that are placed or attempted to be placed on you as a follower of Christ. Those extra biblical regulations are a waste of your time. The Spirit of God lays out the strictest standard that you would ever need, right? That if it's profitable in your walk with Christ, it's worth your time. If it's not profitable to your walk in Christ, get rid of it, discard it, resist it. And the importance is that it may be in good intentions, but most likely not. We have set up a society, even as, as a religious society, all of these rules that we get hung up on far too much. I am not promoting that we just go liberal with, with any restrictions. I'm urging a higher standard. Is it profitable? If it helps your walk in Christ, then absolutely pursue it. If it gets in the way of the walk of Christ, discard it. If Scripture lays out a standard, then it seeks that we hold to it. God's rule and authority is number one. God knows how this walk should be walked. (coughs) Sexual immorality is plain as day. This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Abstain from sexual immorality. Very clear. No debate. Anger. Uncontrolled anger. Hatred. All kinds of things are laid out clearly to be avoided. But we need to be sensitive to what standards out there have been placed by humans with ulterior motives in mind and which standards are truly of God. Now you want to know the really tough part of this? Corinthians teaches very clearly that one thing that you may abstain from in order to honor God, that could be fully pleasing to God that you're abstaining. But that same thing in another man's life, another woman's life, may not be hindering the walk. It gets complex. It gets complex. And that's why that verse about being filled in Christ, being controlled by the Spirit, Spending time together, studying the Word, spending time with each other, it's critical. But we have to get past an empty holding to regulation that is not laid out in God's Word. And there's some of food, drink, festivals, new moon or Sabbath. The next verse is even more powerful. During this time, those in Colossae were we're being led by a specific philosophy. And let me, let me touch on that after this verse. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If you want substance, go to His Word. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. What's asceticism? Asceticism has been around forever. And the Colossians were being handed ideas of asceticism from teachers other than Paul. Asceticism is an idea of resisting or abstaining from pleasures just for the purpose of self-made 
righteousness, or salvation. This can be seen in many, many world religions. Many, many world religions uh, would say that speaking is going to be set aside. Silence will be embraced to gain favor with God. That's asceticism. We have to be careful because asceticism is very appealing to the flesh. Anything that, the, that I think I am accomplishing, boy, I grab onto that. And we have to be careful that anything that we abstain from is done with the full motive of honoring God Himself. And there's plenty to abstain from. There's plenty to truthfully honor God by saying no to. But we have to be careful of that pride in all of us. That we don't make it an issue of, oh, I am somehow accomplishing or I'm gaining favor with God. That's what they were faced with. And it's appealing, but ultimately it's folly. Worship of angels. Clearly, God Himself is to be worshipped. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous mind. Sensuous mind. This brings out a very important point. We have to be careful about our feelings. We have to be careful of what appeals to our senses. God has given things to enjoy and to rejoice and to delight our senses. But just because it has a sensuous appeal doesn't make it right. And we've got to be careful that we're grounded in truth, not carried away by emotion or by uh, a sense, our senses. Verse 19, don't, any of this, any of this, giving in to any of this garbage, comes from not holding fast to the head. And here's the powerful application that I was talking about as Riley pointed out that this time together is a way to stay rooted in Christ. Those that give in to the garbage are not holding fast to the Christ the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Who's the body? You are. Corinthians and other passages talk about how you are the living, breathing body of Christ. And each of you has a role. And it's your privilege to gain full direction from Christ, the head, and to carry out His every intention as a unified, harmonious organism of the church. And it brings out a powerful reminder that we are in this together. This is not about Justin's walk alone. This is about our walk as a body of Christ. And there's been some good, good things happening as of late. There's been some good identification that not every part of the body is as plugged in as needed, needing to be. Not every part of the body is functioning with the efficiency and um, fervor that we need to be. And the challenge comes in realizing that we're all in that together. Whose role is it to minister to other parts of the body? It's your role. It's your role. God has appointed elders to oversee that ministry. The nervous system will follow the direction of the brain, but the blood needs to bring nourishment to the cells. 
The blood needs to, to race extra help to an injured area of the body and to pull the crap away, excuse me, pull the garbage away from that injured part. It's your job to reach out and minister to your brothers and sisters who are struggling, as it is my job. Don't for a second stand by and allow your family to struggle because you think it's someone else's job. Embrace the opportunity and minister to the body, following the lead of the head himself. Following the lead of the head himself. There is no way that a small group of people can facilitate the ministry to every part of the body. It has to be every joint and ligament doing its part to nourish and build up the body of Christ to fulfill God's leading and God's direction. We are in this walk together, my brothers and sisters. This is a team sport. This is an opportunity for us to leave aside all of the garbage and to embrace the walk in Christ as a family. And as we close, as we close, search your heart. Do a little soul searching. And ask God Himself to direct you and to direct me in ways that we can better walk in Him. Ways that we can nourish each other, build each other up. In ways that we can as a team strengthen each other to abstain from the empty deceit and human philosophy and to embrace the leading of our glorious Savior. Who's the fullness? He's risen above and He invites you to join Him and to live the victorious life in Him. Father, these are powerful verses. Not because of us or any one of us saying them. It's because of Your Holy Spirit inspiring these words to be gathered so that we can learn from them and be changed, Father. It's only academic if it doesn't go into our lives. It's worthless if we leave unaffected. Lord, it's time for us to rise above the distractions, the resistance. It's time for us to embrace and live the victorious life in our Savior. We praise You and thank You for the power of Your Word, for the powerful work of Your Spirit. We praise You that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything is at our fingertips for carrying out this work that You've called us to. So as we seek to walk in Christ, we desperately ask for Your help, Your conviction of the Spirit, and the encouragement of each other, Lord, to do Your will. We praise You. We thank You. We lift the name of Jesus high and we seek to honor Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.